Welcome and thank you for taking the time to listen to the Word of God released through Randolph Barnwell. Randolph is the founder and senior elder of Gate Ministries Durban Central. Be encouraged to access free additional resources for your edification at randolphbonnell.com. Great grace, peace, and mercy from Christ be multiplied to you as you listen to this teaching. I've entitled it, Prayer, the Word, and Fasting. Our focus is going to be that fasting facilitates insight into God's Word, which is contained God's will. And penetrative prayer. Okay? Now, look at your first sort of opening paragraph there. True biblical fasting is not simply an abstinence from food only. Fasting must have attendant with it a desire for and a commitment to intense prayer. And also the seeking after God's will and way through the reading and study of His Word. Fasting is a spiritual discipline for Spiritual reasons. Although it has physical benefits, your primary goal is something spiritual. There must be the pursuit after some spiritual objective. So everyone look here. I mean, when you fast, you must have a goal in front of you. And that goal must be spiritual in in nature. The fast is physical. The objective is spiritual. Okay? And so always keep in mind the spiritual nature of what you're doing. Otherwise, you've become too fleshly focused on physical aspects like the discomfort of dizziness that usually comes initially in a prolonged fast. Three things normally happen, dizziness, nausea, and headaches. Probably have experienced this. I want to encourage you to push through physical discomfort at the early phase of a long fast. But what's going to cause you to have that strength to push through? It's going to be the spiritual objective that you see in front of you. So even Jesus, he endured his cross. Why? Because it says, for the joy that was set before him. So sometimes when the joy or the object, the outcome is set before you, you can endure any physical discomfort and and pain. So you push through the physical limitations or negativities related to a fast because you are so ardent upon, so serious about attaining your spiritual ob- objective. Excuse me. Pray in the word, listen carefully. Denote, in pursuing this objective, one has to of necessity immerse oneself in strong prayer. Everyone say strong prayer. Strong prayer and Bible study. This is prayer and the Word of God. Prayer and the Word denote the means by which we interact and interface with God our Father. So fasting alone without spirit-led prayer and Bible study has little spiritual value. If anything I want to impress upon you is going to be this. If you simply fast and all you're doing is not eating, but you are not praying or not spending time in the Word, then what you're doing will have little spiritual value. When you fast, you've got to immerse yourself in prayer and immerse yourself in, in word. Whether you're reading it or listening to teachings, whichever methodology you choose, but you've got to be exposed to the word by the voice of the Lord and you've got to be consulting God on issues. Right? The Bible says, you'll read it, I'll read it to you next week, how that when Daniel fasted and prayed, 
the angel came to him. The first thing the angel said to him, Daniel, I have come in response to your words. In other words, you've praying and, and words have come up before the heavens, have touched us, and I have come in response to your praying. Amen? So tell your neighbor, let your words be heard. And you know what concerns me? I put it on Facebook this morning as well. What concerns me is the prayerlessness of the body of Christ globally. It's like if you say people pray for 10 minutes, we don't know what to say, what to do. Most the average Christian will not, cannot even abide in prayer for 10 minutes with their God. And we've just lost this discipline of calling upon the Lord, let alone an hour. Just take 15 minutes. Right? The average Christian does not know how to engage God in personal, private prayer. And I want to encourage you. There are two issues that concern me. It's prayerlessness and spiritlessness. Right? People void of spirit capacity, spirit dynamic. Thamo encouraged us as sons, even in our opening session, at our sons' meeting this week. And it's a concern he expressed to, to us as pastors. So he's seriously concerned that, that even pastors have no sense of spirit perception, no sense of being led by the Spirit. And that dynamic, I want to encourage you, be thoroughly aware. We, we taught it last week, remember? We must be thoroughly aware of the leading of the Holy Ghost. Because the Holy Spirit is able to pray through you. And you pray in the Spirit. Ephesians uh, 6.18 at all. Keep on praying in the Spirit with all kinds of prayer. And Romans also teaches that He, the Spirit, will pray through you. So I want to encourage you. Be aware of, of your need to develop strong prayer. Amen? To maximize the fullest spiritual benefits of a fast, prayer and the Word become non-negotiable priorities. Prayer as a goal, sorry, fasting as a goal, and prayer and Bible study is the road that you need to travel to get to the spiritual destination. Amen? And so fasting has a goal. It has a spiritual objective. As you fast, fasting alone is not, is, is not enough. Coupled with your fast, you've got to be praying. And you've got to be immersing yourself in strong um, word. Fasting intensifies prayer and positions the mind of your spirit and soul to be enlightened with revelation from God's word. I'll show you this. Case studies we're going to look at. Show you how this worked in the lives of, of saints. Neglect prayer and the word in your fast and you will not realize the fullest possible spiritual benefits that fasting brings. All you will probably attain is some physical weight loss. Right? Now, we, don't, we want that. Right? Some of you are looking very thin. Right? I've lost most of my tummy. I'm trying to keep it that way. Right? Uh, I want to encourage you to um, um, be strong in prayer and in the Word of God as you fast. I want, every time I do that, to attain the fullest possible spiritual benefits associated with my fasting. Right? I want to reach all that the Lord has and is willing to give to me in that season of fasting. Now, just before we get into this, quickly, the following two scriptures show how in fasting there was a positioning of people to hear God's word. 
right? So I'm encouraging you, immerse yourself in the word as you fast. In the scripture you will see, for example, in Nehemiah's day, Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 1 and 2, now on the 24th day of this month, the sons of Israel assembled with fasting in sackcloth, with dirt upon them, the descendants of Israel separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and iniquities of their father. While they stood in their place, they read from the book of the law of God, of the Lord their God for a fourth of the day. A fourth of the day is a quarter of the day. A quarter of 24 hours is six hours. So for six hours in a fasting day, People stood for six hours and read the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament. Imagine, some people can't stand while eating for six hours. These were fasting and they were fully attentive to the reading and the explanation from the Pentateuch of the Word of the Lord. I want to encourage you, the fasted person, the person who is fasting, your spirit is best poised to understand God's word in the season in which you are fasting. It's amazing how understanding gets enlightened. Um, I've experienced this personally. Whenever I fast and I'm on a prolonged fast, it's like the scriptures come alive. You would see things you would not ordinarily have seen uh, without fasting. And I want to encourage you. It's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by my spirit declares the Lord. Don't think like a man. Don't say, I'm going to be physically weak, therefore I will not be energetic enough to engage certain things. I want to encourage you. There is grace being released together with this fasting series. If you truly tap into it, and if you really say you honestly want to fast, and you don't want to experience even the negative physical effects of a loss of energy, I am convinced the grace of God will kick in. And cause you, even in this context, to be so attentive for six hours engaging something spiritual. I think when you are fasting, especially on a long fast, you are truly not of this world. It's like you're living on a different plane. Your senses are up, your antenna is up, there's greater perception, there's greater insight. But the person who is given to appetite, feeding his flesh at every turn, and also not just, hung, not just hunger, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. You're not, you're not dealing with the temptations of your flesh. It dulls your spiritual senses. But I want to encourage you, fast. In your fast, read and study God's Word. Jeremiah 36, 6. So you go and read from the scroll, which is the Word, which, well, in this context, you must read this lovely chapter concerning Jeremiah and his dictation of the word of the Lord um, to, to somebody. So for me, it's this reference to scroll in this verse is a reference to God's word. Although it refers specifically to specific prophecies that Jeremiah gave someone. So it says, go and read from the scroll which you have written at my dictation, the words of the Lord to the people in the Lord's house on a fast day. So can you see on their fasting day, there was the expectation that the words, prophetic writings of Jeremiah are read to them, right? So I want to encourage you. You will have a busy day. Let's say you choose a fasting day on a work day. 
You have work commitments, and you're going to fulfill those. Don't cut corners and rob your employer of time, and you're reading the Bible, because that is dishonorable. That is his, if it's not with his, without his or her permission. Right? Go through your normal day, but try to carve out and adjust your normal schedule where you can devote more practical time to engaging God's Word or more private time to pray. To pray. Um, in a fast, let me just say this, one thing you must learn, and I'm going slowly, because by the time we finish the series, I expect you to be an expert in fasting. You must, you must be able to teach others. You must, from this point onwards, you must be able to say to a young Christian, you're battling with fasting. Come live with me for one month and see how I discipline and I do this. Right? You must be able to, to, to tell somebody else, follow me as I follow Christ in this matter of prayer and, and fasting. So I'm trying to make it as practical as, as I possibly can. In the fasting day, in the fasting period of your life, you cannot continue like everything is normal. Your normal schedule, your normal program, what you would ordinarily have done, has got to change to indicate that you have a greater pride, a greater priority. And so you make adjustments to your program so you can slot in more times for prayer and for, for Bible study. Right? Fasting, listen carefully, for me, you say no to food, but you're literally telling your entire constitution, everything now is Godward. There's a deliberate focus away from earthly things and a deliberate turning to look at things eternal. And that must also evidence itself by an adjustment even to your daily program. Amen? Now, listen carefully. It's amazing when you expose yourself to the Word of God, God's Word will always reveal His will. Because now what I'm going to talk to you about, you've got to also pray. But prayer in fasting is meaningless if that prayer is not a reflection of the will of God. You can't pray for something that God did not will in a fasting period and say, I'm praying with fasting. Your prayer will be ineffective because you're not praying according to the will of the Lord. Exposure to God's word will reveal to you His will that will empower your prayer. Exposure to apostolic prophetic doctrine. Now let me just say this, brethren. Yes, you must read your Bible privately and personally when you study. But also, in a fasting period, I would suggest that you also do this. Take a series, let's say. Um, take Thomas Hebron series and say, I really want the Lord to speak to me about this. And let that be or one of my series or anything that you feel the Lord is leading you to immerse yourself in. Listen to the series. Read the notes. Study. It's amazing how the Lord will give clarity concerning various things. Right? So you use your own personal Bible study and also your exposure to, listen carefully, apostolic prophetic teaching in the seasons of your fast. Because in Nehemiah's day, the verse we read there, Nehemiah is an apostle. And he gets Ezra the scribe right, to, to read and to explain the book of the law. There was apostolic prophetic directives given to a whole nation in their day. Amen? So I want to encourage you to do the same. Look at the following verses at the bottom of your page. These verses, 
link the powerful duo. I call them the powerful duo. Prayer and fasting. Luke 2.37 Anna served God with fasting and prayer. Acts 13 verses 1 to 3, the Antioch leadership, it says, they fasted and prayed. Acts 14.23, Paul and Barnabas, the Bible says, had prayed with fasting. Cornelius in Acts 10.30, I was fasting, and he says, and the ninth hour I, I prayed. Daniel 9 verse 3, he says, I set myself to seek by prayer with fasting. Nehemiah 1.4, I sat, I fasted, and I prayed. Ezra 8 verse 23, so we fasted and we sought our God concerning this matter, and he listened to our prayer or to our entreaty. Psalm 35 verse 13, with fasting and prayer. Luke 5.33, fast often, Jesus said about the Pharisees, and they make many prayers. So you can see throughout the scripture, fasting is always aligned with prayer. Um, intensify your prayer through your fasting. Intensify your prayer through your fasting. Look at Ezra 8.23 from the New Living Translation. It says, So we fasted and earnestly prayed. Come on, let's repeat that. So we fasted and earnestly prayed. We didn't just fast. It says we fasted and we earnestly prayed. And it says that our God will take care of us. And I like this. And he heard what? Come on, talk to me. What did God hear? He says he heard our prayer. Did he hear our fasting? So is it fine to fast and not pray? What does God respond to? God responds to the prayer. The fasting in the prayer intensifies the prayer. God sees the fasting, but He hears the prayer. So it's pointless fasting without prayer. Right? This is very clear to me. He heard, He heard our prayer. Fasting is seen. Prayer is heard. But fasting intensifies prayer. Amen? So I want to encourage you to intensify your prayer with, with fasting. Amen? Now, what I'm going to do is, next week, I will examine more thoroughly case studies of people who prayed in this manner and got tremendous results. But before I get there, I need to teach you a very basic principle of prayer that you will see modeled in the lives of many saints. Okay? Now, here is it. Don't read your notes. Just listen to me. You can always read this. I'm going to explain it to you in my own words. Here's the mystery. Jesus taught us in his Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 6, when he taught us how to pray. He says, when you pray, pray in this manner. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Where? On the earth as it is in heaven. That's a principle of prayer. There is a will of God. There is a purpose of God. God is sitting up there where in heaven, and he's saying, think like this, just assume for a moment, use your imagination, envision God in the heavens. And let's say he's far removed from the earth. 
So whatever is in heaven must be done on the earth. God is saying, I've got a will. I've got purposes. I've got plans. I've got designs. I've got intentions. I've got plans for my people on the earth. Then he comes to the earth. And Jesus is talking to the guys here. Jesus is saying, get that will. Get that purpose. Get that intention. And that must be done on the earth. But what does Jesus say? Jesus is teaching that the process or the vehicle that connects heaven's will to earth's reality is prayer. Prayer is the connector that brings what is in heaven down to earth. Right? Prayer is the link. Prayer is the critical, indispensable, non-negotiable activity and posture of men on the earth that secures God's will in the heavens to be done in their context. The implication is that absent prayer, you take prayer away, no will is done. If there's no prayer, then the will of God becomes suspended and not done in an earth-based reality. Prayer is indispensable to the methodology by which God has literally incarcerated himself to work in. I'll say that again. Listen carefully. God can do anything. He's God. He's sovereign. But he has set a principle, a methodology that governs how he will do things on the earth. And he's imprisoned himself to that principle such that even if he wanted to do something, unless the principle is active, that he cannot work. And the principle is this. He's sitting there and saying, I want to do this in Sherwin's life. I want to do this. But I'm waiting for Sherwin on the earth to partner with me in the heavens by positioning himself in prayer and saying, your will be done in my context. If there's no voice from him up to the heavens, God's will in the heavens becomes unfulfilled. And you know how many of God's plans have gone unfulfilled simply because of a lack of prayer on the earth. Right? Now, let me show you this. Do you believe me? <laughs> if you don't believe me, let the word speak for itself. Amen? I will, I will show you how that many people do not have because they do not ask. Hmm? There's it there. James said. James 4 from verse 2c and verse 3. James said, you have not. Why? Because you ask not. Ask your neighbor, why don't you have? Why? Why don't you have? Very really clearly, James answers it here. He says, you have not. Why? Because you ask not. And then he says something very peculiar. He says, you ask and you receive not. Why? Because you ask with wrong motives so that you might spend it on your own pleasures so asking then is not sufficient you can't just be praying now some of you might leave here and say i'm gonna pray now pray now pray now because i'm gonna get heaven's will done in my context yeah and you can be asking and still not receive if you are asking with the wrong motive right so motive is very important everyone say motive so james is saying if you're going to be asking for things for self-indulgence for self-centered pride, it's all about you. It's not about God's will, right? Then it says, even in that case, 
you can fast for 40 days, asking in prayer with wrong motive, and God will not hear a thing. Right? Amen? Tell you never, get all your ducks right. Get all your ducks in a row. You see, I'm, I want to make sure the next time you say it to your family, Evie, Moira and Clayton, we're going on a 21-day fast. This family, I'm calling us to seek God. Then when you position yourself in prayer, and you say, I'm going to fast, we're fasting and we're praying as a family, clarify this. That what we are seeking God for is not bent on selfish motive that we have. It's not self-centered, but we're locking into purpose that has been revealed to us about something. And we are convinced that God requires our prayerful cooperation with His intent to see that thing done on the earth. Amen? Then you will see results. Then you will get results done. You will get the will of God performed in your own day. Amen? Now go to page 3. We've sung this song tonight, but it's based on Psalm 2 and verse 8. Ask of me. Everyone say, ask of me. Come on, say it louder. Ask of me. God says, and you know Psalm 2 is a messianic psalm. Messianic psalms, there are a few of them in the book of Psalms. They are prophetic psalms of the Lord Jesus Christ. that are prophetic in nature of things that he would do or encounter in his earthly ministry or his eternal ministry in his high priestly role. This particular psalm is prophetic of him. And the Father is saying to His Son, the Heavenly Father is saying to His Son, the Lord Jesus, Ask of Me, and I will surely give the nations as your inheritance and the very ends of the earth as your possession. Again, the principle, there's no giving if there's no asking. There's no giving if there's no, if there's no asking. Amen? And now, I want to encourage you just with a few statements. When I say this, ask, it's not as though you are begging. I'm not saying go and beg God to do things. You see, prayer is not an attempt to overcome the reluctance of God to do. I'll say that again, you must catch it. Prayer is not your feeble humanistic attempt to overcome and twist God because He's reluctant to do. He doesn't want to act. His hands are behind his back. He's saying, I will not. I don't want to. And yeah, you on the earth saying, no, yes, you must. Oh, come on. Come on. You're not trying to convince God to do something that he doesn't want to do. You've already established his will. You're not praying to alter his will. You're praying to partner with his will. And you are saying, Lord, I know you revealed to me either by my study in the word or through a prophetic word, a prophet has given me some direction, has shown me things. I know it's your intent. I know what your will is. And so I am here, and you must get this. I'm also not just praying as an alien or stranger to you. I am your son. You are my father. It's your good pleasure to do things for me. I'm not trying to convince someone to bless me that doesn't want to. Right? Uh, when we do, we're going to do a series, a whole module on prayer. And one thing I will deal with is the power of relationship in the one who prays. To understand that I'm not praying disconnected from somebody. I'm praying. Jesus said this in the parable of importunity in Luke 18. Remember that persistent widow who came back to the judge? And he answered her 
Simply why? Because of a frequent coming. Right? Now there's no relationship in that parable between the unjust judge and that widow. Not so. But Jesus, in concluding that parable, says this, how much more? If he answered her prayer, he says, how much more shall your Father in heaven answer them that seek him, even though he belong with them? So I want to encourage you. You're not trying to convince God or overcome his reluctance. Now let me demonstrate these. There are many other principles contained in the note on page 2, but I want to get straight into demonstrating this biblically. Can I show you in the Bible how these things work? Amen. Let's get to the Bible and you'll see this. Go to the next page. I'm going to use several examples. Example number one, I've entitled it, God's declared intention waits for prayer. God's declared intention waits for prayer for it to be done. Here's an amazing verse. Ezekiel 36, verse 36 and 37. Then the nations that are left round about you will know that I, the Lord, have rebuilt the ruined places. And I planted that which was desolate. Notice, I, the Lord, I have spoken it and I will do it. I want you to say it like you, the Lord. Come on, repeat that last statement with me. The underlined portion. One, two, three. I, the Lord, I have spoken it, and I will do it. But look at the next verse. Thus says the Lord, this also I will let the house of Israel ask me to do it for them. And to increase them, like they, they're men like a flock. Can you see the principle? God intends to do something, but what does he do? And you know, it's so emphatic, I have spoken it. I'm certainly going to do this. And God says, but hey, hang on. I'm ready. I am ready. But Israel is not. I'm waiting for the house of Israel to ask me to do it for them. Okay? You can see it very clearly. So prayer is cooperating with what God intends to do, locking into that. In fact, God will not do anything until somebody prays it through. There's an old adage. Brother Basil will probably know it. I learned this in AOG. A great man of God once said, God does nothing, but only in response to prayer. God does nothing except in response to prayer. And even though you see here, he intends to do something, he will suspend his doings if there's, a, if there's prayerlessness on the earth. Now, I don't know about you. I, if I were you, I, I would be, I can see some of your running to go back home to lock yourself in your closet and say, now, Father, the thing that you promised. Now, for some of you, you even have prophecies. It's not like you're seeking what is the will. Some of you know it. And I want to encourage you, don't give God rest until that thing is done in your life. You know this verse, I can just stop there. You know this verse is the main verse I want to share tonight. Every other verse hinges upon this reality. I have spoken it. I will do it. But I'm waiting for the house of Israel to inquire. I like the word the King James says, I'm waiting for Israel to inquire of it of me, declares the Lord. Hmm? Look at example two. Now this you've got to get. This it speaks about exactly the same principle. Watchmen on the walls in prayer mirror 
God's posture in the heavens. Everyone say watchman. Now in the Old Testament cities, watchmen stood on the walls. And they, they watched, they were like security guards, right? And they would watch, especially late at night, for, for approaches of enemies to the city. Then they would alert the army if the city was under threat, right? That famous Old Testament, watchman, what of the night, right? So the watchman, listen carefully, what is the prophetic symbolism of watchman? It's the one who prays fervently. It's kind of an intercessor who immerses themselves in prayer. Can you be a watchman without watching? So what do you think watchman implies? Hey, you're alert. You've got no time to sleep. You're vigilant. You're aware of things. You're not uh, insensitive to, to spiritual things. You're not, your spiritual perception is, is at, its, at its peak, at its, at its height. I've never been more so alert like I have been in this fast. Do you experience this in your fast? It's like you're more alert in the spirit. You can pick up things you would not ordinarily have, have, have picked up. Your senses become sharp. And I want to encourage you, become a watchman. Tell your neighbor, watch and pray. Jesus said that in Matthew 26. Remember he took the three, he said, watch and pray. The word watch there in that is gregrio. It's not in your notes. It simply means be vigilant and pray. So the image to watchman that we are about to read is a reference to vigilance in the one who prays. Now, here's it. Listen carefully. Verse 1. For Zion's sake, by the way, let me inform you, God is talking. This is God talking. And who is Zion? The church. God is saying, for Zion's sake, I will not keep silence. So God is, God is saying himself, God will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake, and we are the new Jerusalem, I will not keep quiet until her righteousness goes forth like brightness and her salvation like a torch that is burning. You can see I've bracketed it off and I wrote there, that's God's will. Everyone say God's will. So what is God's will? God says, my church, my new Jerusalem, Zion, I will not rest. God is saying, me God, I will not keep quiet until... Zion's righteousness shines brightly and her salvation is like a torch that is burning. That's the will of God declared for His people. So question, has God revealed His intent? Yes, yes He has. Is there a plan afoot? Yes, it is. Right? And there's some details given. Verse 2, the nations will see your righteousness, all kings your glory, and you will be called by a new name, which the mouth of the Lord will designate. You will also be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord, a royal diadem in the hand of your God. These have all got prophetic implications which we can't have time to, to do. It will no longer be said of you forsaken, nor to your land will it be any longer said desolate, but you will be called, my delight is inner, and your hand will be called what? Married. For the Lord delights in you, and to him your land will be married. For as the young men marry the virgin, so your sons will marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over her bride, so your God will rejoice over you. So have we got some details? Right? There's an intent declared in verse 1, and there's a detailed description 
given of that intent from verses 2 to verse 5, and then verse 6 starts. But on your walls, O Jerusalem, I have appointed watchmen, people who pray with great vigilance. All day and all night, they will never keep silent. You who remind the Lord, take no rest for yourselves and give Him no rest until He establishes and makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. Can you see that? On the side there, God's methodology for getting His will done, He appoints responsible, diligent watchmen. Now in the table below, I've, I've compared these two things. Notice God's posture in the heavens. In verse 1, God says, I will not keep silent. In verse 6, what does He say of the watchmen? They will not keep silent. Right? In verse 1, what does God say about Himself? He says, I will not be quiet. In King James, it says, I will give myself no rest. And what do the watchmen do in the latter part of verse 6? It says, take no rest for yourselves, watchmen. Can you see, listen carefully, the posture of the watchman on the earth exactly mirror the posture of God in the heavens. You know, you know God sometimes is more zealous about His own business than what we are. God is more passionate. God says, hey, I'm not keeping quiet. And God's, God's voice usually comes out by His word and by prophecy in the earth. Not so. God says, I will not keep quiet. I will give myself no rest until I make Jerusalem a praise in the earth, until a righteousness uh, uh, and a brightness is accentuated. She must become a praise in the earth. And he says, oh, but what I'm going to do to get this done, I will position watchmen upon your wall, O Jerusalem. They will not keep quiet. They will not be rest. And he says, you who give God no rest, you remind him of what he wants to do. Not that he forgets. You're activating his hand to do. Amen? Think about this, brethren. You know, even dare to pray this. Next time you pray, say to the Lord, I, Father, I've come to exactly mirror what your stance about this issue in the heavens right now. I know your will concerning this. What, your posture is exactly, see it in me. Right? And give, what does give God no rest mean? Never stop praying. Never stop giving up in prayer. There is such a thing called importunity in prayer. Amen? I want to encourage you, don't stop. Marion, don't stop. It says, listen to carefully, to, carefully to what it says. Verse 7. Give him no rest. The key word there is until. Give him no rest until. He establishes and makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. In verse 5, not verse 5, page 5. The Hebrew word for silent, where God says, I will not be silent and the watchman will not be silent. It simply means inactive hmm? or still. And the word quiet in the Hebrew is sakat. It means to be undisturbed. The main idea is one of passivity and inactivity. You know the worst posture to adopt when confronted with God's will is to be passive about it. 
you know what it is, but you, you adopt like indifference. You say, well, God said that to us, to me, or to, like, to us here corporately. I will stand away from it. I will not even pray about it. I won't consult God about it. That means you are inactive and you are passive. Right? Let me ask you directly, how many of you really pray about our corporate destiny? God has revealed certain things. How, how many of us are, are still and are silent? We are inactive. And you know what inactive suggests? It's not just a lack of vigilance. It's indifference. Indifference means I'm not concerned about the outcome of this. What must be, must be, but I'll have no part of it. And that is, that is an aloof position that testifies you're not really passionate about his declared intent to be done. That is true for us corporately, but that is also true for you privately. I want to encourage you. Take all your prophetic words. Some of you have got many prophetic promises. Do you all have prophetic words? Right? Promises that God gave you. I want to encourage you. Do not be silent. Do not rest. And give him no rest, it says. You watchmen, give him no rest until he does that thing in the earth. Amen? Don't give up in prayer. Tomorrow morning, set your alarm for 5 o'clock. Break the flesh that keeps you bound to that bed. Break it in Jesus' name. Don't let Jesus say to you like he said to the three, the flesh is, the spirit is willing, but the flesh, see, it's weak when the three slept in the garden. Break it and demonstrate, I will not. Lord, you know what, what uh, Psalm 3 says? Early in the morning, you will hear my voice. Right? Daniel, Gabriel said to him, I have come in response to your words. Amen? Give your creator no rest till he makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. Amen? A praise in the earth. And we can go through the word appointed means to set. God says I've appointed watchmen. In the Hebrew it's pakat. Right, to attend, to visit, etc. To appoint over or to commit to that is to cause people to attend to something placed under their care. It's like if I give this bottle to uh, Lillian and say, this is yours, care for it. Right? I've appointed. So God says, I've appointed watchmen over you, Jerusalem. God is saying to the watchmen, I've placed certain things under your custodianship or your care. And so you treat that matter as a matter of priority in your, in your prayer. Brethren, if you see in your world the will of God threatened, in your family, in your spouse. Hmm? I've been praying for Renee like I've never, ever prayed for her before. And it's not now because of this for the past few weeks. And last night, I held her, um, like I normally do. And we were sleeping, but I was cuddling with her. She was lying on her side. And so, um, and she was in some pain. And for literally an hour, she was the subject of my prayer. I don't, you see, Adam refused to cover Eve. And the enemy had his way with her. Right? I said, no devil is going to get the better part of my spouse. Right? And I started praying about a whole lot of issues concerning her, her destiny. And I want to encourage you. Don't stand aloof and stand back when you see the will of God being threatened in the life of your spouse, in the life of your kids. I prayed for the boys strongly last night. There's some issue with the car there in Cape Town yesterday. And we're praying intently to be to be, alert, to be unappointed is to not steward the thing under your care. You know, the, you know some of us, 
don't know what kind of authority we have in the Spirit. You might not have even your own office at your workplace. But let me tell you, you get in the counsel of God in prayer. And you have access to the highest power in the realms of the universe. And you can consult and pray. And you will, you will be heard of Him, declares the Lord. God says, I will hear you. God's not going to turn a blind eye to your fasting, seeking Him, asking Him things about what He wants to do. Do you think He's going to turn a blind eye to that? No ways. God will answer you. He surely will. Amen? God will answer you. Then it says, remind the Lord. Zakah. Tell you number Zakah the Lord. That's a Hebrew word, Zakah. And Zakah means this. To mock. I like that. You know, if I Zakah you, uh, hey, Sherwin, don't let me Zakah you. It means I mock you. You know what? I like Sean Bluchner. Sean Bluchner once explained this word in one of the apostolic schools. I love, he couched it in such beautiful terms. He said it literally means to scar. You make a mark where you scar someone. But in reference to God, it's to scar his mind or your mind. Right? So it's not like we, we often use it in English, remind me. But to scar, if I remind you, you will never ever forget after that. Because it's like an, a scar that you can't help but take note of. Right? I want to encourage you, when last did you zakar God? Prayed so fervently, fasted so seriously, called on him with such intensity that the, it created a reminder in the mind of God that he cannot avoid. It also means to remember, to mention, to recall to mind, to, to record. Amen? Look at uh, example number three. Anybody? Opposite five. We'll just do one or two more examples. I may not get through all of these, but we'll just do one or two more. Confidence in prayer attains what God himself wills. You know, uh, Pastor Robin Oliver drilled this verse into me as a young boy. I will never forget his passionate, how passionate he was in quoting this verse we are about to read. And with such fervor. And those of us who know Pastor Oliver, there's Brother Basil concurring. I would remember I was sitting there as a young man in the church. And Pastor Oliver was our pastor of the AOG church at that stage. He would come and, um, and, and he would quote 1 John chapter 5, verse 14. And he literally quotes it before every prayer meeting. He says, young men, you've got to pray with confidence. I'll never forget this. Pray with confidence. And this word is found in this verse. Let's read it. It says, okay, I won't say it like Pastor Oliver. I can't even mimic him. He's got such fervor and such zeal. And it says... This is the confidence. Everyone say confidence. This is the confidence we have before Him that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. I can just stop there. If this is the, you know, when you pray, you don't come, hey Lord, maybe, maybe or not you're going to hear me today. I don't know how this prayer is going to work out. You know, you can't come in there like uh, hit and run. No, you can come in, tell you never confidently. Right? Bible says, come boldly to the throne of grace. So you come, you say you wake up 5 o'clock tomorrow morning, and you say, Lord, it's my prayer time. I'm a watchman standing upon the walls. I want to call to remind your will concerning me, my wife, my, my children, my family. I even say it. I will sometimes take my prophecy book, and I will read whole prophecies. You said this. I didn't say it. In fact, I didn't even want it. 
you want it for me. All I'm positioning myself is in prayer, partnering with you that this thing be done. Amen? And you, you pray confidently. It's not arrogantly. Please, always be humble. There's a difference between arrogance and, and confidence. Confidence is simply being certain that you are praying the direct and accurate will of God and that you can spend that half an hour in prayer and after the half an hour, you can go to your husband and say, He heard me. He heard me. It says, if we ask anything, please remember this verse, young men. Right? It says, this is the confidence we have in Him. That if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And not only does He hear, what does it say? And if we know He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have. Tell your neighbor, you can know that you have for what you've asked. That's a powerful feeling, eh? It's faith. There's no fear. There's no unbelief. So Clayton, strong prayer. Confident. I know you've heard me, Father. Gareth, you pray as a young man, even tomorrow, whenever you pray, come, you know what God's will is from His word, you pray strongly. And you leave the prayer time, not saying, did He hear, didn't He hear. This verse tells me, I can. I know God has heard me. And not just that He's heard you, it says, you also know that He can. He has given you what you've asked. Amen? Tell your neighbor we can have. But again, the principle is simply, if there's no asking, there's no having. He's got a will. He's got, you want to do things. But if you're not going to partner with Him in prayer, I put it succinctly here, point one, two, three. We ask, He hears, we have. Come on, repeat that with me. We ask, he hears, we have. And John's called this confidence. Absolute confidence in prayer. Look at the fourth example. Isaiah 45 in verse 11. Thus says the Lord, the Holy One of Israel and His Maker. I like this. Ask me about things concerning my sons, and you shall commit to me the work of of my hands. If God dares to ask us to ask Him about things concerning His sons. I know this verse, if you just read this verse in other translations, different nuances are given and theologians are divided as to what it really means. In some versions, it, it, the way it's presented, it's almost God is saying, how dare you ask me about things? How can you dictate to me what I want to do with the work of my hands? But the overwhelming number of translations and commentators believe that that is not the nuance in this verse. But the nuance is this. God is saying, I've, you know what hands mean? Everywhere in the Bible, hands are always indicative that somebody is ready to execute and do something. So God says, you can ask me of things concerning my sons. And you, by your prayer and your asking, you can commit me to the work of my hands. Hold me to the fact that I will do what I have promised that I will do. Ask him. Repeat after me. Ask me of things concerning my sons. Now slot your name in there. Say, ask me. Let me say it. Ask me, Randolph, of things concerning Randolph. Ask me. And commit to me the work of my hands, the things that I want to do for Randolph. 
So say that concerning yourself. Just say, ask. Let me use Quentin. God, Quentin saying, God is saying to Quentin, Quentin, ask me about things concerning Quentin. And you, Quentin, commit me, God, things, my hands, to the works that I want to do for Quentin. Okay? Tell that to your neighbor, something like that. Just tell him, ask Lauren. Ask me, Lauren, about things concerning Lauren. Commit to me. Ask me of things concerning Clinton. God is saying to you, ask me about things concerning yourself. You commit to me the work of my hands. God is saying, activate me. You know, know, Dr. Matera, Joseph Matera, um, said to us, the church has become so parochial, so church mindset, the the, the focus, and we not become kingdom focused where we're affecting systems and and nations and our communities. He, He said that, there's a whole bunch of angels unemployed. He actually used that the angels are bored. They're bored to death with us. He says, hey, this, if we were in the Old Testament now, there'll be Joshua, we'll be fighting. He said, but now, this, look at this bunch. No one's even praying about anything. Not moving us to activate us to do certain things. Let me just say that some of your angels are bored to death because there's no activation on your part to activate by prayer the work of God's hands. Okay? Right? Give notice to your angelic realm. They are now no more unemployed. Tell them overtime even. Now it's overtime. Make them work overtime. I'm not going to give God rest. I'm going to pray until I see the manifestation of the will of the Lord in my, in my life. Amen? I'm going to pray through until something, until something happens. Amen? Example 5. Agreement in prayer attains results on earth reflective of heaven's will. Matthew 18, 18. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven. Just stop there. Most of us have learned the King James Version of this. Whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. Now that's not the true meaning of the verse. If you look at this translation, the New American Standard, if you look at the original Greek text, The original Greek text reads as follows, as we've read. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall, what? Have been bound in heaven. Right? So where is it bound first? If heaven binds it, earth can bind it. If heaven has loosed it, earth has legitimate right to lose it. But if heaven doesn't bind it, on the earth you can't say, I bind it. Therefore, heaven must bind it. Or I lose it, therefore, heaven must lose it. You only bind and loose on earth as you perceive the thing being bound or loosed in the heavens. So that's how you must read this text. And whatever you loose on the earth shall have been already loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you that if you agree, two of you shall agree on earth. Where is the agreement taking place? Come on, on, on earth. And it says, about anything that they may ask. So question, how is the activity of binding and loosing done? By prayer, by asking, especially the prayer of agreement by two or three. If two or three can agree, right? Then it says, it will be done for them by who? By the 
Father relationship. By the Father who is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there in their, in their midst. Just follow with me here. I won't go through a long theological explanation. This verse can make for a powerful series. In the Greek, the word loose means to permit or to declare legal. In the Greek, the word bind means to prohibit or to declare illegal. I, in my prayer on the earth, all the verses saying, if I can agree with my other brothers in prayer, we can establish the legality or the illegality of an activity on planet earth. Or by our prayer, we can give permittance. We can loose and let the thing ride and express itself of whatever the Lord has permitted in the heavens. But I cannot declare legal that which heaven has declared illegal. So it must be first be declared legal there. Then on earth we can partner in prayer with him and declare it legal on the earth. Can you, can you get the picture? Right? So in your life, you can discern the illegality of an attitude. You can discern the illegality of a pattern of behavior, let's say, in, in a family member. Right? So don't just stand back about it. You know it's not God's will. And you, you're convinced that this is contrary to the will of God in the heavens. What you can do in agreement prayer. And I'll talk about agreement more when we discuss prayer as a topic. The word is symphonia, from which we get the word harmony. You make harmony and agreement in prayer with someone about the matter. That's why cooperative partnership prayer is powerful. If you, and you know what? For those of you who are married, you already got a partner. At least agree with that one. Huh? You know, if you're married, you are a serious, serious advantage in prayer. Simply because, based on this verse, you've got another person with you saying the same thing as you. Right? It takes your, the, home, the prayer life of your home to a, another level. And I want to encourage you, pray with your spouses, pray for your spouses. I can just see all the husbands tonight curling up and cuddling up to your wife. Not for any other agenda, Clint. But you're saying, Vanola, I cover you. I, you, you can pray, let's say you pray this. I was praying like this for another. I forbid, I cancel, I declare illegal any satanic attempt to rob you of your peace, your health. I declare it illegal. Take my authority in the home. Right? Um, and for, for a host of things, you can cover your spouse. The wives also can pray for your husbands. You know what? Husbands and wives fight more than pray more. We should be praying more than fighting more. In fact, if you pray more, you're going you're to start to harmonize over a host of other issues. Amen? You've got some prayer arsenal brads in your home. Some prayer power there between the two of you that you need to tap into. It's like, you know what we're sitting with, brethren? In our homes, we are sitting with weaponry, armory, and arsenal that we're not tapping into. There's power there. God is saying, you agree. I can turn a whole lot of things. For those of you who are unmarried, we'll pray for you to get married. So you can experience this. <laughs> but listen, even if you're not married, just, just get somebody else to agree with you. Get your friend to harmonize. The Greek word is symphonio. Make the same sound in the spirit. Get a hold of the will of God and let the will of God be done 
on the earth, declare it as it is in the heavens, so let it be done in the earth. Can I just finish up with one more example? I've been dying. You know, I've said all of that to get to this example. This for me is like the cap, the icing on the, on the cake. Daniel, right? I'll show you how a man literally did everything I'm, I'm speaking about. In Daniel's day, I've entitled this example, and we'll just take 10 minutes and we'll conclude. Perceived divine purpose pushes and propels the sun to pray that it is done. Perceive. Now, you, you, perceive means you must be aware of purpose. So the moment I get an inkling, however I do it, by the study of God's word, by a prophet, by somebody tell me, the moment I know what heaven's will is, the moment the will is perceived, I push and I propel that that thing be done on the earth by my prayer. You know that Daniel was in Babylon, eh? captivity. Listen carefully. Was Daniel a prophet? Yes or no? Yes, one of the greatest prophets in the Old Testament. More than a prophet, he was a student of prophecy. You must read the book of Daniel. Whose writings did he study? He, the prophet Jeremiah. He had access to the scrolls of Jeremiah. And Daniel was a student of the scriptures who studied Jeremiah's writings because Jeremiah had a lot to say about Israel in Babylonian captivity. So what are you studying the scriptures to understand his context, to understand his time? Now, listen to this. Daniel chapter 9, verse 1 to 4. In the first year of Darius, son of Ahasuerus, of Median descent was made king over the kingdom of the Chaldeans. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, observed where? Where did I observe? What was I studying? I observed in the books the number of years that was revealed as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah, the prophet for the completion of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. All Daniel is saying, hey, I discovered this captivity is not forever. It's only going to last 70 years. Right? So he understands timing. It's time frames. Right? So I gave what? I gave my attention to the Lord God to seek Him by prayer and supplication with fasting and sackcloth and ashes I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed and I said, and please, by the way, brethren, maybe before you sleep tonight, take the time to read the rest of the chapter and study the content of the prayer of this man. You know what's, what's happening here? Daniel is realizing the 70 years are almost up. We are on the verge of this captivity being broken. Question, has God willed it? How did Daniel find out God's will? Studying the scriptures. The scriptures will always reveal to you the will of the Lord. When you're armed, like John says, I can imagine if, if, if maybe the Lord by something impossible showed Daniel John's writings, he would have stood up and said, this is the confidence I have in you. That if I ask anything according to your will, I know that you will hear me and that I will have what I have desired. Now notice, he does not interpret the will of God as an excuse not to pray. For the average Christian, 
if God, if you were Daniel and you discovered this, you know what the modern Pentecostal Christian will do? Oh, no problem. Let me relax. Watch TV. Why? Hey, I can just see it's just maybe two more weeks to go for the 70 years to be up and we're out of here. After all, God said it. No, what does a man who understands the methodology by which God works? Daniel knows, not just because God said something, will it happen. He knows that the the, the declaration of God's will requires human partnership in prayer to get that thing done. So he doesn't interpret information and revelation as an excuse not to pray. The opposite is true. He interprets it as all the more reason for me to not eat, lock myself away, sackcloth ashes, says I fasted and I prayed. And the Bible says he confesses the sins of his forefathers. And he prays to the Lord his God. He says, how we've gone away from you. But now you are bringing us back. You just you must hear the passion. That's why the, man, uh, the Bible says of Daniel, when the, when the angel came to him, Daniel, a man greatly beloved by the Lord. Daniel, a man of an excellent spirit. You want to be greatly beloved. You want an excellent spirit. I want to encourage you, Joash, learn how to position yourself in prayer. As young as you men are, learn the art of standing in the counsel of the Lord and praying to Him about issues. Amen? We all must learn this. Now, look at Daniel 6.10. I told you last week, I think. Was this new to Daniel, praying like this? Daniel 6.10 says, When Daniel knew that the document was signed, he entered his house... Now, on his roof chamber, he had windows open towards. Right through the time of his captivity, Daniel was taken captive as a young man, remember, to Babylon. And right through every day, three times a day, he would open where he was staying, the roof, and he would face Jerusalem. Geographically, far removed from it. He's now in Babylon. And he would pray towards, he knew in his heart, we're going back someday. And when, now after studying the, the, the scriptures, he discovers this is about to be realized. He ups it a notch and he fasts. If you realize, let me say this prophetically. If you realize that you're on the verge of some breakthrough, up it a notch, you pray by fasting. Say, Lord, I'm not going to give you rest. I can sense something's about to break. I can discern something's about to happen. You declare it, you're going to do it. I simply partner with you to see it done in the earth. He said he opened his window towards Jerusalem and he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God as he had been doing previously. Some versions say since his youth. Since his youth. Now, I'm going to explain what I've written on page Eight. Just look at me quickly. The political circumstances of the day in which Daniel lived were such like this. The reigning monarch of Babylon was King Darius. There was nothing in the character of Darius that was known that would be, would be ever be favorable to the Jews to let them go. Nothing. Right? God deposed him. Remember Cyrus? Who basically gave the decree to Israel to go back to their land? It was 
King Cyrus, not so? And he even financed. He gave huge amounts of him huge amounts of money as they returned. But in the time of this prayer, the then reigning monarch was King Darius. All I'm saying, in Daniel's world, there was nothing politically that he could see with his naked eye that could favor the return of the Jews back to Jerusalem. Not by a long shot. This man, but he positions himself in prayer. God hears the prayer. I will do nothing until I, until I reveal my secrets to my servants, the, the prophets. And the prophet prays. God even orchestrates political change. Right? Cyrus comes to the fore and issues the decree to send them back. In your praying, in your world, let me just say this. You could be faced with circumstances that seem impossible. There's nothing in your world right now that's saying that's going to happen. In fact, when you look, when I look at this church, what do I see? I see some brethren not coming. I can be discouraged by what I see, but my reality is not based from a natural perspective. My, 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 my reality is based on an eternal perspective of what God promised and what God has said. And sometimes when you look at natural things, it can depress you, not so? You, you can even not pray. You're so discouraged. Not so with Daniel. There was nothing in his political world that would, that would even give a sign that what he was praying for, there would be a way out for these Jews. But God orchestrated things. So I want to encourage you. And you know what he said? Look at the bottom. Daniel chapter 9, as he concludes his prayer, he says, notice his confidence. Everyone say confidence. Let's pray this together like we read the other night. Let's read this portion together. I want you to read it like you're praying desperately to the Lord your God. You're about to end historical bondage of 70 years. You're about to change some pattern in your life. Amen? And he ends his prayer. Let's read together. So now, our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his supplications. For your sake, O Lord, let your face shine on your desolate sanctuary. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city which is called by your name. For we are not presenting our supplications before you on account of our own merits of our own, but on account of your great compassion. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and take action for your own sake. Oh my God, do not delay because your city, your people are called by your name. Can you hear the spirit by which Daniel, he's coming there not any merit, he says, Lord, this is your glory at stake here. It's your people. Look here, if we've sinned, forgive us. But I like what he says, Lord, take action. Some of you need to get desperate in your prayer and say, God, take action now, God. Come through for us as a company and break through. The last example I won't look at, but you can read it at home. It concerns um, how, let's just read it quickly, okay? Just five minutes. Just quickly, this is exactly the same as Daniel's case, except it's Elijah um, in the northern province, the northern Israel. Remember, he prophesied there'll be no rain. Then there will be. There will be rain. Remember? First Kings 18, 1 and 2. It happened after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Question, 
Does he know what God's will is? The word of the Lord comes to him. In the third year saying, go show yourself to Ahab. I will send what? I will send rain. Does, who sent the rain, by the way, brethren? Come on, ask, who sent the rain? God. Jot down, go right down to James 5. What does James say about this whole thing? Verse 16. Therefore confess your sins one to another. Pray for one another that you might be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Elijah was a man with a nature just like ours. And how did he pray? He prayed earnestly that it would not rain. Right? And he, it did not rain. For three years and six months. Three and a half years. And then he prayed again. And the sky poured rain. Question. Who stopped the heavens and who opened the heavens? Who did it? God did it. But did God do it without Elijah's praying? God says, I want to do certain things here. But I need a prophet to cooperate. So Elijah, the Bible says, James comments, James says, Elijah prayed that it will stop raining. And Elijah prayed that it will start raining again. The actions of a man partnered with the intent of God in the heavens. And he got results on the earth. And you know what it says? I like what it says. He was an ordinary brew like you and me. I like you read that in colloquial. It says, and Elijah was a man with like passions. He was a man with a nature just like me. Tell your neighbor, Elijah was a guy just like you. There was no anything extraordinary about him. He was an ordinary soul. Ordinary person. Living in what Sonia wrote, bluff. But a person that just got a wind of what God want to do. The Bible says, you read how he prayed. He put his head between his knees. The Bible says he fervent, locked in, focused. Prayed. The heavens would open. And it gave way. Right? He prayed this thing. Now, listen carefully. You can read 1 Kings 18 from 41 to 46 at home. Listen carefully. Again, whenever God informs you of something, it's not an excuse not to pray. It's all the more reason for you to pray. Amen? God will not do it unless someone cooperates. In fact, when God said to Elijah, I'm about to send rain, the Bible says, he went to the top of the mount, he put his head between his knees, and he prayed. And every time he prayed, he sent his servant to go check if there's clouds in the sky because for three years, they didn't see a cloud. There was famine for three years. Now he's praying. Imagine, here's the process. God says, I'm going to send rain. And the prophet says, no problem. I hear you. I hear you. I hear you. Me, I put my head And Lord, send rain. Send rain. Send rain. It's like stupid, eh? Just looks stupid. God said, I'm going to send rain. Here's the prophet. Yes, I hear you. I know your will. You will do nothing unless I pray it. So, Lord, send rain. Now, you're not trying to convince God, as I've said, to overcome what he does not want to do. You're partnering with him to do what he said he would do. Amen? And he sends his servant out seven times. I don't know how long he prayed. James is commenting. All James says, Elijah was, Elijah was an ordinary brew, but he prayed how? Say fervently. It says also earnestly. You've got to pray with earnest and you've got to pray with fervor. Pray seriously. Right? So a prophet locked in with God. Let me conclude by saying this. Isaiah 58, in three weeks' time, we're going to prosecute this chapter. It's the most important chapter of fasting in the Old Testament. 
Here is one of the promises to the person who fasts accurately in Isaiah 58. Verse 9 at the bottom of your page. It says, Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry and He will say, Here I am. That's a lovely promise eh, to the one who fasts. Imagine. You think, Lord, it, like, I'm going to dramatize this tomorrow when I wake up. This is my verse for tomorrow. Come before the Lord and I'll pray. Lord, you say when I fast and pray, you're going to, I can just picture God. He sees me. Oh, he's, he's coming. He's approaching us. Father, Son, Holy Ghost. Get up. Lord, I call on you. Their response is they get up. Here we are. You have an audience. Let me just say, you might not know great lawyers, great magistrates, great people of influence. They can help you with some problems. But when you position yourself in prayer, you have an audience with your Creator. Please hear this. Lord, when you pray tomorrow morning, in your mind, even imagine, you know sometimes we just imagine the Scriptures. Say, Lord, you promise you're going to stand up and you're going to say, Jules, here I am. What's on your heart? What thing about my will are you partnering in me to see done in your life? Let's get the job done. Concerning me, you command the work of my hands. And I will do it for you. Amen? Are you excited about praying? Praying with fasting? Praying with studying the word of the Lord to know the will of the Lord? Amen? Take it to the next level, brethren. I'm telling you, the fervent, the effectual, fervent prayer of what man? If you fast and maintain your right living, your righteousness, there's no telling the things that God will do in your life. Amen? May the Lord richly, richly bless you. Amen.